freedom 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 over fame freedom over cycle stays the same welcome first of all welcome this is unsolicited perspectives i am your host bruce anthony thank you for listening and watching wherever you get your podcast and video podcasts subscribe share like comment and rate us you can find us on instagram youtube and twitch at unsolicited underscore perspectives on twitter and tiktok at unsolicited underscore per watch us live every thursday night 7 30 p.m eastern on youtube and twitch our audience continues to grow with each and every episode and i humbly thank you on today's episode, I'll be interviewing Tamina Watson. She's an immigration lawyer and advocate, and we're going to be talking about immigration law. But first things first. I'm really excited to be interviewing Tamina Watson uh, today. She's, a, like I said earlier in the opening, she's an immigration lawyer, and I feel like immigration is really hard to understand. Uh, I try to read as much as I can about it because it's a it's a topic that I'm interested in, especially because it's in the news so much and you don't really know what to believe because you have news organizations giving you information. And let's face it, news organizations are going to give what the viewers what they want to maintain ratings. So you have to take anything that you get from the news from whatever news organization for, with a grain of salt. So I love to research and find out what the truth is. And I'll be real honest, no matter how much I read and I dated somebody that worked in immigration, no matter how much I read and I ask certain people, like I really can't get, I, I can't wrap my hand around it. Oh, it is more complicated to me than trigonometry and geometry. And those were extremely complicated to me. So like I said, I'm really excited to be interviewing Tamina. She's the founder of the Watson Law, uh, the Watson Immigration Law Firm. She's also an author. Uh, she wrote the Startup Visa: Key to Job Growth and uh, and Economy Prosperity in America. She's the founder of Widen. That's WidenLaw.org. Uh, it's a nonprofit organization that was helping uh, to train and mentor lawyers to help uh, detain their immigrants. Uh, she also is a part of Airport uh, Law. Org. That was to provide critical help during the travel ban crisis, during the pandemic. Uh, you know, something that we often didn't think about during the pandemic were those people that were trying to get into the country, get into the country because they want to immigrate here. And uh, like I said, some immigrants are coming from really bad places. Like we talk about the projects here in the States, like no matter how poor it is here in the States, is nothing like some of these other countries. Um, we talk about how how rough it is in the projects or in the trailer parks. Look, all that violence and everything, it's not as bad as it is in other, other countries. I have a, a friend of mine who's Serbian um, that moved here as a young child. Uh, and she's a Serbian female, so she's a white female. And she moved to Southeast D.C. in the 90s. And I was like, whoo, that had to be a shell shock. It was really dangerous in Southeast during, during that time. She was like, I'm from Serbia. It was a country that was constantly in war. Like Southeast was a, was a picnic compared to that. And I'm like, geez, I really have no conceptual idea what it's like in other countries. And as I've gotten older and I've traveled, I realized, you know, there's reasons why people will want to 
get out of these countries. So uh, we'll be talking about, you know, how, what's the process? You know, what are the laws? What are the policies? What are the procedures? Um, and I really hope to learn a lot and to gain some real understanding about immigration, because like I said, everybody talks a big game about like they understand what immigration is and what the policies are. It, but the more and more I read into it, it's not black and white. And this isn't two plus two equals four. This is some really complicated stuff that's going to take real policies and reform to really help those people that are getting in the country. And this idea that we don't want people to come into this country. I don't understand that because this country is the way it is because of immigrants. Everybody is an immigrant in this country. Well, you know, I mean, you've been here, you got a couple of generations, you've been living here for a while, but you were somebody in your family was an immigrant at some time. That's how that works here. So I'm really excited to uh, interview Tumina and uh, really get some perspective of immigration and the laws and the policies. But enough of my rambling. Let's get to the interview. I'm here today with a lawyer, an activist, an author, and maybe the most important job, a mother, Tamina Watson. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm so honored to be here, Bruce. Thank you for having me. Of course. I was happy to get this on the schedule because we're talking about something really important today, and that's immigration. So uh, the first question is, how did you get involved in specializing in immigration law? You know, it's so funny because this is the last thing I wanted to do. I wanted to be a lawyer growing up, but immigration was the one thing I said I didn't want to do. You know, you could be a lawyer in bankruptcy law or be a litigation, you know, litigator, family lawyer. You could be so many things. And immigration was the thing that I said, you know, of all the things that are out there, this is the one I don't want to do. And then I moved uh, from the United Kingdom to the United States to be with my husband. I was born and raised in London. And I took the New York bar exams, which um, meant that living in Washington State, I live in Washington, uh, Seattle, Washington, um, the laws are not necessarily the same as other states. As a mm -hmm. lawyer, you need to have the state license to practice that particular state's law. But immigration is a federal area of law. And that allows you to practice in any state, really. And my choices were very limited when I um, took the New York bar exams and was looking for a job. And immigration kept following me. It was the fourth job that I said, okay, I'll do this. Thank you very much. I'll just do this for a few years. And then I realized I was meant to do this. The universe mm -hmm. kept throwing it at me until I said, okay. So I mm -hmm. succumbed to the calling Okay. and I fell in love. And here I am. I'm still practicing immigration law almost 20 years later. Wow. Okay, that's that's pretty cool. Sometimes life just says you're meant to do this. Stop running from it. And that was great that that you embraced it in 20 years. Congratulations uh, with that. That's that's remarkable. Um, can you help me understand the current immigration policies and what options are available for individuals seeking immigration? Um. So let's talk about policies first and then the options next. 
Okay. Uh, because they're each very, very big topics. Um, the policies that we have at the moment, uh, uh, really policies are set by administration, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And, and just to break it down for your listeners a little bit, there, there are the laws that are set by Congress. Mm-hmm. Those are, you know, the Immigration and Nationality Act. Um, the last real update was in 1990. And so the hmm. laws that we have are very old. Mm-hmm. Then there are the regulations that is interpreting the law, breaking it down like, you know, we say we need X. These are the three things you need to prove X. So that's regulation. So when people hear about the regs, it's the regs. The policies are how you're sort of directing those regulations, how you, the regulations can be interpreted as well. And so the policies are coming from the administration primarily and how an agency is going to direct particular, you know, cases. Um, what we, what your listeners might have re- remember from the last few years mm-hmm. is that when we had a different administration, the policies were very restrictive. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were restrictive because of the ideologies of that particular administration. But what happened also is that we had a global pandemic and you had to create policies to protect us, the citizens. But those Mm -hmm. policies were created with also those ideologies. And so policies from the previous administration have been handed down to this administration. And this administration is working through a broken immigration system, archaic laws that don't really serve us as well as it should. Mm -hmm. And regulations take a long time to change. So they're working with the policies that came from that particular administration, and they're trying to update them and modify them for what we need now. Um, So if you think about now, we're sort of post-COVID, if you like. So a lot of the bans that we had through executive actions, those have been lifted under this administration. And what we see, and a lot of your listeners and viewers might be thinking about the southern border, what's happening Mm -hmm. with that. Uh, So policies are being changed with that, uh, with, you know, what we need to do in a post-COVID era. But I think what people need to understand is policies can be a vehicle to, like, what can we do now in this situation? But Mm -hmm. what we really need is a law to change. Okay. And that is something that we cannot do unless Congress takes action. Hmm. Okay, so I'm going to detour a little bit because if you pay attention to the media right now, some news organizations will say crisis at the southern border. And there was something that happened last week, some maybe it was a policy or regulation that ran out. I, I'm trying to understand this very, very complicated issue of immigration without having any law degree. And so that's kind of the reason why I had I have you on so that you can explain to our audience what exactly is going on down there. Um, what was the thing that was eliminated or ran out last week? And how does that how does that affect people coming to this country and people already here in this country? Mm -hmm. So I think what your listeners and viewers might be hearing about is something called Title 42. Mm -hmm. And um, essentially, COVID restrictions were a way to say, 
you know, we're going to have these limits on how we let people come into the US. Um, what this administration is trying to do is to say, hey, you know, we're going to try to process you before you come into the US. Mm-hmm. And so there's now a phone application in which people can, you know, schedule interviews. It's a very complicated problem that doesn't really have an ideal solution. Um, and so what people are seeing and hearing about is uh, how restrictive uh, laws, if you like, regulations um, in how to slow down people coming into the U.S., how to have an organized way of having them come into the U.S. Um, that's try, that's, there's sort of a, a new way, a new system in which the government is trying to have people come into the U.S. Am I making sense? So yes. asylum is, a, to go back to basics, asylum, what is it? Mm-hmm. Asylum is essentially somebody coming to the, borders of the United States. They could be flying here. They could be driving here. They could be walking here. They'll say, hey, I'm going to die if I stay where, where I am. Please mm-hmm. let me come into the U.S. Okay. And, and the various treaties that we have, uh, you know, international treaties, our laws, our laws say, if you're going to die somewhere or somebody's persecuting you, trying to kill you, to, your life is at risk, we will let you stay here. We will give you asylum, asylum mm-hmm. says protection, sanctuary. Um, what's happening is a lot of people are coming in and our system is broken. Mm-hmm. And so that system, depending on which side of this you know, argument you're on about is it good, is it bad, um, nobody's necessarily happy with this, the solution. But what mm-hmm. the administration is trying to do is having trying to wrap around wrap its arms around how can we deal with this very serious problem and, and bring some sort of organization to it. Okay, so when you bring up asylum um, and you say a, a person can uh, come here based on treaties um, and say, "Look, if I go back home, my life is in danger," is that? Who decides if that this is going to come out as a a weird way to ask this question, but who decides if that threat that they are saying that they have is valid or not? Is there is there a uniformed? Okay, this person says they're in danger and we kind of know this country is is bad. So, yes. Or is there somebody saying now this person, what they're saying isn't isn't valid enough? We don't approve them to come in. Um, and if so, how is that decided? That's a really great question. That is the crux of what happens. Just mm-hmm. because we have knowledge about a country having unsafe situations doesn't necessarily mean you, Bruce, the individual, are in danger. Mm-hmm. And so the question becomes, how does the individual prove that their lives are in danger? So when they come in, the first thing that happens is there is something called a credible fear interview that happens with an officer. They have to prove that, yes, I really do have fear. Mm -hmm. And that's stage one, if you like. And then there is an application that has to happen. You file it. And, And it's really important for people to know it's not just the southern border that have people who want to apply for asylum. Asylum is for anybody whose life is in danger. Right now, a lot of the work that I'm doing in 
my community, which is up north from the southern border uh, mm-hmm. in Seattle, Washington, we have a lot of people from uh, the Afghanistan who came in um, on humanitarian parole, and they need a permanent solution to stay here. They mm-hmm. too will be applying for asylum. And everybody's case is different. You have to prove why your life is in danger from going back. And so once the credible fear and and how this asylum application happens depends on where you are and how you entered and so forth. So the people from the southern border, once they get through this interview process, will have the opportunity to file an application. So the people that I'm helping, you know, uh, who are going to be applying for asylum, there's a form that gets filed with USCIS the United States Immigration Services, um, Citizenship Services, USCIS. And then an immigration officer will look at that application, they'll interview you, and they'll make a decision on whether they can approve your application. And if they cannot approve it, they'll say, we cannot make a decision. We're going to send you to a judge. Mm. And then a judge will then have a hearing where you will essentially have a trial where you would have another chance to prove that your life is in danger. Now, each of these stages take a long time. Mm-hmm. By the time you have the interview uh, for credible fear, that's part of what's going on right this minute, um, and you enter the US, then you file the asylum application. When you do that, you don't know when you'll have that interview with an immigration officer. When you have that interview and they make a decision, it's not necessarily immediate all the time. But by the time you're referred to the immigration court to see a judge, that takes time. And by the time you get to the judge, that's going to take years because we have a backlog. So every part of this system has complexities involved. Okay. So just one more question about asylum. Asylum is law, correct? Yes. But as you said earlier, the uh, administrations can dictate policies based upon that law. Mm-hmm. Yes. So comparing the previous administration to the current administration, have they changed the policy of asylum seekers? Was one are, was one strict and one a little bit looser or is it pretty much been the same throughout the Mm -hmm. two administrations. Let me give you an example of policy versus law. So anybody who comes to the US uh, and they say my life is in danger, they are entitled to file an asylum case. That's what the law says, okay? They Mm -hmm. can do that. The policy is how are they doing that? And so that's Mm. what is happening at the border. You may remember that a few years ago, the previous administration said, you know, we want to prevent people from coming in because the law Mm -hmm. says they can apply for asylum, but we're going to prevent them from doing that. How are we going to do that? We're going to separate them from them children. Mm. That's policy. Mm. Okay. Okay. That's policy. Separating them for children as a deterrent mechanism. This administration is like, we're not going to separate you from your children, but we're going to try to have, this is chaotic already. We're going to have to have some sort of organized chaos. That's policy. Uh, I got you. So basically people should not listen all the time to the news or listen to 
multiple news organizations to kind of get the truth because there are certain news organizations that will say, well, one, one administration is worse than the other and it's letting more people in that are causing harm when in actuality it's not necessarily the case? Well, I think there's, there's harm no matter what you talk about because there's inherent issues in all of these very deep problems. Mm-hmm. Um, what I will say for your listeners who are interested in learning more is, yes, listen to multiple different news channels, but how you, what kind of perspective you get will depend on that news channel. Mm-hmm. And if you are absolutely interested in the law and the policies, go to the source of organizations that deal with the law. Hmm. So there's the American Immigration Lawyers Association, AILA, A-I-L-A dot org. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of information that talks about the law and explains the law. There is another organization called the American Immigration Council, A-I-C. And their job is to really have explainers, among Hmm. other things. So Mm -hmm. if somebody is interested in learning about Title 42 or asylum or work visas, you name it, uh, the American Immigration Council likely has an explainer on it. They're actually easy to understand. They're not terribly complicated in the way they're written. And if anybody is truly interested, I think one of those websites will be able to give you some factual information about this is the law, this is what happens in the law. So I, I kind of have to ask, as, as we were talking about in the previous segment, uh, people learning more about immigration law and the, what the policies are. Um, I have to ask you, what are some of the misconceptions that people have out there about immigration law and how can we, aside from giving them the information, go seek that information out? How can we kind of debunk uh, these misconceptions in immigration law? I love that question, Bruce. Thank you so much for addressing it. Number the biggest misconception, and maybe you've heard this, your listeners have heard it, they're taking our jobs away. Mm, mm. Mm-hmm. That is the number one thing that you will hear. They're taking our jobs away. That was always a myth. But if you think about the COVID pandemic, when we were all in our homes, locked in, mm-hmm. in lockdown, we couldn't go out. Um, that really, and post-COVID as well, has exposed how that's not true. Sorry. It was never true. But it's exposed how it's not true. And we are actually in dire straits about having a workforce, no matter what industry you're in. Mm -hmm. If you are seeking assistance for medical issues, not enough doctors out there. Um, If you are trying to find uh, an accountant or, you know, the type of help you need, you're not going to be able to get them. There is a severe teacher shortage. Yes. Nobody can disagree with that. It is absolutely visibly evident. There are not mm-hmm. enough teachers. There are not enough nurses. If you go to the senior care home uh, places, not enough caregivers. 
If you go to restaurants, not enough waiters. Construction is coming back, not enough construction workers. Um, you go to hotels, not enough people to help in the hotels. Every industry is suffering from people uh, from a lack of workforce. The mm-hmm. agricultural industry has always suffered. It is now to such a extent that, you know, food prices have increased already. We don't have yeah. enough workers. So if you think about every industry, where is, where are the jobs being taken? <laughs> right? You know, yeah. if you think about the tech industry, you know, uh, there are millions of jobs that are open all the time, even with the layoffs. You know, there are jobs that are out there that are not being taken. So America has this misconception of they're taking our jobs away, but in reality, we can't get enough people to do anything. And who is the ultimate loser when that happens? If you're in a nursing home getting help, you're likely a US citizen, an American person who needs help. Mm-hmm. When you grow, if you just think about, you know, I would ask your listeners to close their eyes for a second and just listen. Mm-hmm. Imagine you're back in the COVID era. You're under lockdown. You can't leave your house. You can't even go and say hi to your neighbor. You are permitted to go to the grocery store, though, Mm -hmm. just for limited times. That's the only place you can go. So what are you doing at home? You're now WhatsApping your friends and family. WhatsApp was created by an immigrant. Mm. You're using your phone where the network and the hardware and the software are being maintained by skilled immigrants, primarily. You're likely using Zoom to do Zoom schooling or working or seeing family. Zoom was created by an immigrant. If you go to the grocery store and you're looking for the shiny apples on the grocery shelves, those were picked by immigrants. If you're getting milk because your kids need cereal, the dairy farmers are often hiring immigrants. You can be an American sitting on a chair looking for all the conveniences you need, but everything coming at you are touched by immigrants. So when we don't have a workforce, who is the loser? Wow. Wow. That was poetic. And apropos, that was, you you answered that question. That was perfect. <laughs> I mean, I can ask for a better answer than that. Um, Okay, so there are going to be some people out there that uh, have a preconceived notion of what immigrants are because of the media and portrayal on television and public discourse. How has all of that impacted decisions that are made about policy for immigration? Um. So kudos to the Biden administration for recognizing we need immigrants and skilled, talented immigrants. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so this is a different group than the people that are coming from the border. OK, just want to make sure your listeners understand that we're now going to put them in little buckets. Mm-hmm. The buckets that we need are the skilled immigrants who can really make a difference to the economy, to the things that we need. Um, you may know and your listeners might know that the Biden administration passed something called the Chips and Science Act. Hmm. 
hmm. that is to help us you know we don't have enough semiconductors we don't we don't have a lot of things to help with you know people are waiting uh, my neighbor actually was waiting for a microwave not a microwave an oven for over a year wow. you know there there are things that are missing in all of the electronics that need to be created because there are not enough semiconductors and chips and whatever whatever i'm not a scientist i just go by what, what, what i've been told i right. can talk knowledgeably about immigration but science my husband will be like <laughs> You sound very cute. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, I, I, I throw in the word pixelated because I feel mm-hmm. like I don't know how to use that one, but it goes okay. into every sentence. But anyway, what I'm asking you to take away is I may not know every word about the science issues, but mm-hmm. what we do need are people who know science um, issues. They have scientific backgrounds. They have STEM education. We need these people. Mm-hmm. Um, the Chips and Science Act passed. But without immigrants, we're not going to be able to do that. So coming back to your question about policies, what if this? What, what can you do to make things better? The various work visas, that's my bread and butter. That's what I do. My knowledge on a day-to-day basis is to help businesses and individual and entrepreneurs and um, companies who are hiring to be able to get work visas to work and live here. Those are the policies that are being um, updated by this administration saying, if you have a STEM degree, we're going to look at you favorably Mm -hmm. so that we can, you know, um, update the policy on the O visa, uh, which is essentially the genius visa. Um, saying that if you have a STEM degree, we're going to look at you favorably so that you can stay here and work on your tech project or you can work for a, a company that's working on STEM research issues. Um, and so those are policies that are being um, affected and the government is trying to update the immigration policy manual so that uh, people who are trying to come into the U.S., uh, now can be able to meet those requirements. I'll just give you an example. Um, my clients are small to medium businesses and they're everything. They can be, um, I, I represent teachers, I represent um, architects, I represent all different, you know, mental health counselors, people people in the health industry, I, I the whole gamut. Um, one of my clients is in the construction industry And this person has been in different types of visas and we wanted to get them a green card. It was very difficult with the way that the policies were written uh, for a particular category for entrepreneurs. The Biden administration really made a comprehensive list saying, if you are making a difference in these national interest issues, There's a Mm -hmm. homeless crisis going on. There's a food crisis going on. There's a health crisis going on. Are you working with government agencies? The government has given us a roadmap to say, if you are doing these types of things, we are going to look at you favorably because you are helping our national interest. That's an example of where an administration can use policies to help the economy. I come back to who is benefiting. If we have a homeless situation, and just I think in NPR, on NPR yesterday, I heard the Biden administration is trying to have um, some um, programs to help the homelessness crisis. No matter which city you live in, there is a homelessness crisis. There is an affordable housing crisis. The government is trying to find ways in which they can address them. And this is the thing. 
immigration is one aspect of a much bigger problem, much bigger problem. Mm-hmm. We have so many problems. You don't know, even know where to start. Yeah. If you think about the education problem, every school district in the country is suffering from a budget crisis because, yeah. you know, the students have left. Where did the students go? I don't know. Mm-hmm. But without heads, the budgets are going to be cut. Mm-hmm. We don't have enough teachers. The education system is going through a very difficult pro- problem. Immigration could be a solution. You know, it's these problems are so deep that one person and one party can't really solve it. All of us have to come together because it's our country, our children, our future. And so you can't take one problem in isolation. You can fix them. I'm an immigration advocate. I know what I can solve here. But there are other advocates and different issues. And so if any of your listeners are, let's say, a teacher or they're an administrator in the school, talk about the problems and see, aha, I think immigration could be a solution for us. Hmm. You know, I think if your listeners are running restaurants, small businesses, and they're suffering from a workforce shortage, you've got to speak up saying, I'm a small business. I cannot afford to, uh, you know, um, I can't meet the needs of my customers. Mm-hmm. which are Americans, I can't meet their needs. How can I meet their needs? Oh, yes, immigration could be a solution. So I think it's a time where all of us have to come together as citizens and say, these are our problems. How can we solve them? And everybody's going to have solutions in different categories. But right. immigration could be one solution for a lot of different industries. So I kind of want to go back because it brought up something kind of interesting how the, the 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 Biden policy of allowing people in to basically I don't want to dumb down what you said but just from my understanding is if you can provide a service here to this country that will help some of the issues that we're dealing with you're going to be more favorable looked at isn't that kind of almost like a a caste system not uh, really very, I get, I get what you're saying. And what I want to be very clear about, the law has not changed. Mm-hmm. You cannot change. The visas we have, those all remain the same. In a handful of categories, the administration has been able to say, we're going to look at this a little bit better. Mm-hmm. The other thing that's policy is how a case is being managed. So, for okay. example... Uh, the previous administration created backlogs on purpose. Okay, mm-hmm. they said, we're going to interview every single person who goes through our system. The Obama administration didn't do that. Mm-hmm. And by doing that, like, I'm going to interview everybody, you immediately create a, a bottleneck. Okay. And that bottleneck got, you know, em- um, exacerbated by COVID because you mm-hmm. couldn't interview people even if you wanted to. So right. then comes the Biden administration saying, oh, my gosh, how do we even get out of this problem? And so their policy is, you know, if somebody doesn't need an interview, we will not interview them because their paperwork is strong. Okay. Do you see uh, what I'm saying? Okay. Yes, and I so know exactly what you're saying. It depends on which category you're in. And the administration is trying to take a pragmatic, practical approach to saying, how can we use the system that we have and try and make it a little bit better within our our limitations? 
Okay, so I think I got this. Let me see if this analogy works. You tell me if this doesn't or does not work. When you apply to college, you if your SAT score back in the day when I was in college, if your SAT score was high enough, you were automatically placed in certain courses. Uh, but sometimes certain students got accepted into the colleges, but they had to take a test to see if they were going to be placed in uh, special math or English classes where you didn't necessarily get a credit, but that you had to take them in order to progress on. But if your scores were high enough, you bypassed all of that. So in essence, it's, it's essentially like there's a test and some people have to go through the interview process, but some people's scores are so high on this test, they don't need to interview. Their application is, is good to go. Yes, that could be. And this is for green cards. Green no, cards, okay. These are for green cards. A lot of people who are in the U.S. waiting for green cards, they would typically have to have interviews. Um, and the government is saying, your paperwork is strong. We've done our FBI background check. We haven't found any problems with you. We're going to let you have a green card. Okay. All right. I know I got to get you out of here. I've taken up a lot of your time already. Uh, like I said earlier, the most important job, I don't, I don't know if you feel that way, but I think this is the most important job, is your mother. How do you balance work and personal life? I know it can be extremely challenging because you're not just a lawyer. You don't just have your own law firm. You're also an advocate and author and you do things like this podcast and you give interviews on different podcasts. You had your own uh, radio show for a long time. So how do you balance that, that the personal life and the work life? I love that question because sometimes I have to ask that of myself. <laughs> And uh, I often talk to different mothers about brainstorming how we do that. Mm -hmm. The first thing I'd say is kudos to my amazing husband. Mm -hmm. He is so incredible. He is a true partner uh, in life, and we absolutely juggle together. Mm -hmm. um, some of the things that I do is I calendar. Uh, mm -hmm. For example, my kids do extracurricular activities and, you know, we have to shuttle them from one place to another. And um, I'm able to do that if it's on my calendar. So it has to right. be on the calendar. Um, the other thing is I have an incredible team at my office. I, mm -hmm. They're my second family. They know where I am at any given time. They'll, you know, contact me saying, what do we need to do for this? And they'll just run with it. Or they'll say, she's not available right now. She'll come back. Um, I have villages. I call them villages. Uh -huh. yeah. I have villages for my work. I have villages at home. The village at home is my husband. But I have two incredible daughters. They inspire me. I think the day that I became a mother is the day that I became a better lawyer too. Mm -hmm. You know, understanding the really, truly understanding and trying to put my feet in the shoes of my clients mm -hmm. who are anxious about their futures, not just for them, but what's going to happen to their children. Right. My children are my muses, my, mm. my fuel, my inspiration. I want them to be proud of me. And, you know, it's funny when my now my children are their two beautiful daughters, 13 and 10. They know now how now how, how to do Google and they'll mm -hmm. look at things and they'll say, Mommy, you're famous. I'm like, no. <laughs> and I'll be like, I'm not famous, baby, but I'm so happy that you think I am. Right. <laughs> I'm currently writing a book which is coming out on July 4th, and I do need mommy time for that. Mm -hmm. And they'll give me the time and they'll come and say, Mommy, how, how actually one of them 
says I'm not allowed to say mommy anymore. So I'm okay. still going through transition. You know, it's actually the 10 year old. Really? Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm really struggling to get through this transition <laughs> of like, don't call yourself mommy in front of my friends. Right. So I haven't figured out this transition because in my mind, I can't get out of the mommy zone. <laughs> right. Uh, but she'll say, um, oh, tell me about your book. You know, is it finished? Can I see it? What does the cover mm -hmm. look like? And I just love that um, they are taking interest. You know, they yeah. are learning. I, I had to struggle like a lot of mothers about how am I giving them enough time? And, uh, you know, I honestly, yesterday I went to Costco. I'm like, what food can you put in the microwave? We're going to buy that. I've got a book right. to write. I'm not going to be able to cook for you for the next month. Um, you know, I go through the normal mother challenges. Mm -hmm. And I have to find my own solutions. I guess the biggest thing I can tell any other mothers who are listening is that I have um, accepted that my house is going to be a mess. The dishes are not always going to be done. The right. laundry is not going to be done until somebody screams about, oh, I don't have any underwear. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's really figuring out what are the things that really matter. Am yeah. I happy? Is my husband happy? You know, are we happy as a family? Mm -hmm. Everything else can wait yeah. in, in, you know, in the order it needs to happen. Um, the other thing I will say is that I have realized I need mommy time. And for me, that is bird photography. It's something I just started okay. in, in COVID. Uh -huh. where, um, you know, I just started to become a bird watcher. And mm. that bird watcher life has become, you know, has evolved. And I am now a bird photographer and I have a very large lens, which you okay. know, weight training to carry. <laughs> um, and they know that if I go out and I'm doing bird watching, I come back a happier person and, you know, it's better for everybody. So it's interesting. I think every mother has to figure out what their mommy zone is. But mm -hmm. I, I think every human, in fact, in fact, needs time for themselves. Um, I think self-care and wellness has sort of taken a different level of, you know, different people taking different takes on it. My take is whatever you do in life, and I started with being a mother, but I realized every mother, every leader, every human needs time for their souls mm -hmm. so that they can yes. regroup with themselves so that they can be better for everybody around them. You're doing a public service by taking time for yourself. It is not selfish. It is actually selfless to right. take time for yourself. And so those are the things that I'm living by and that those ideas and those things that I have taken in internally have come from COVID, frankly, mm, where I yeah. had the time to actually take stock. COVID slowed us all down. And what you're describing when you go out and you take and you take pictures of birds, that calm, that centering, I call it the reset. The reset allows you to, okay, I've had my moment to reset my mind, body, and spirit. Now I can go on and tackle whatever I need to tackle. But you have to have that reset or else it just, everything just compounds and compiles on top of you and it becomes overwhelming. So I, I'm so happy that you that you found that. And hey, there were some good things that came out of the pandemic. I say so, too. And yeah. I think the 2023 motto that I have is really and I'm practicing, I'm not perfect, is not to be stressed. And one of mm -hmm. those is making sure that you take care of that problem 
explain to everybody what that problem is and what that solution is and work towards that solution without yeah. being stressed. If you have a plan and you take those st 10 steps, you can be present. It, the, the, I don't know how many times a day I say to people, let's just practice the power of now. Mm -hmm. What is the issue that we have to deal with right now? We know there's a plan. We'll work towards it. Let's just take step one and then we'll deal with step two and three as it's needed. And I think, you know, no matter what practice you have, whether you're, I mean, I'm practicing law, but it could be any job. No matter what it is, you can practice the power of now and it will make you so much better for yourself and everybody around you. I love that. I think that's how we're going to end. Tamina Watson, everybody, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for coming on the show. I know that my listeners, as 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 have I, have learned so much from this very, very complicated issue of immigration. And then thank you for opening up and sharing your personal life and giving sage knowledge of just how to balance a busy schedule. And I appreciate you coming on the show. I'm so grateful, Bruce. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Thank you. Wow. Uh, once again, I want to thank Tamina Watson. Uh, once again, uh, all of her information, social medias, uh, her law firm, her website, the different organizations that you can get information from to learn more. Uh, will be in the descriptions on both the YouTube page and in the podcast. Uh, it'll be all right there. If you want to get more information, you want to gain more knowledge, go there. It'll be there. Um, I learned a lot during this interview. Um, and, and the questions, there were questions that come up, like in all my interviews, there are questions that come up during the course of the, the interview that, that, you know, I, I always say I'm detouring, but, you know, the people that I interview will bring up something that's interesting and I want to go down that avenue. And one of the interesting things going down was asylum and um, learning about how we're trying to bring in skilled laborers or skilled workers uh, because our we don't our labor force is is pretty bleak, right? Like there are a lot of jobs out there available. Some of them aren't livable wage jobs. Uh, and, and, you know, I was somebody who went to school to be an educator. I'm not going to, I'm not going to be a teacher like this is not going to happen. Like what, what teachers have to put up with, I don't have the time or the patience at 42 years old to jump into teaching game now that I, I don't have the energy. That's a young person's game, uh, unless you've been in it for a long time. But just learning so much about immigration and there's still more to learn. Like I'm going to those websites to learn more. There are more questions that I have and I don't know what the answers are. I would like people to come up with better answers than stop letting people in the country. And I would like people to come up with better answers than let anybody in the country, which I don't really think anybody's actually saying contrary to what news organizations will say, but I'm not going to get into specifics of that because like I said, on the sibling happy hour, I am not in the business of attacking people. I'm in the business of learning more. And that's the reason why I interview. I'm in the business of teaching. That's the reason why I interview and I'm in the business of helping other people understand and asking that question that I love to ask of people that I stole from Dan Levitard. I'm not telling you how to think. I'm asking you, would you like to? So my sister the other night broke down with the differences between smart 
intelligence, and wise. Smart is somebody who knows facts. So think Jeopardy people, right? They know a lot of facts. Intelligent are people that are smart, know a lot of facts, and take it a step further to really understand. So they might say, hey, there's a lot of elephants in Africa and India. Somebody smart would know that. Somebody intelligent would take that as, well, let me read about Africa, India, and one, find out how they got there, what's the history of it, the history of the country, how it affects the countries. That's what somebody intelligent would do. And a wise person will say from the jump, well, I didn't know that there were elephants in Africa and India, but let me find out more. So I'm not asking you to be smart, right? Because like I could give you a bunch of facts and you can regurgitate it and you can memorize it, and but you're not really learning anything because you're not taking any further than that. I'm asking you, do you want to be intelligent? Do you want to think? I think that the more we ask questions and step outside of ourselves and be wise to know that we don't know the answers and that we should seek the answers by asking questions and be open enough to take in those answers from a variety of different sources and come together with our own educated opinion instead of just spouting off stuff that we heard from other people. That's all I'm asking with all these interviews and these podcasts. Not telling you what to think. Don't want you to think exactly like me. Don't want to have people that think exactly like me in my life. That's the reason why everybody in my life has different aspects of their thought processes and their ideologies. And I love having people that are like that around me because I can learn more. So I'm not asking you, I'm not telling you what to think. I'm asking you, would you like to? And so here's immigration and all of its complexities, but take it further than just this interview today. Go to those resources that are in the details uh the description section of both the youtube and our podcast and learn more so you can have a true honest informed educated opinion about immigration all right i'm done with my sermon <laughs> it's not to put down anybody you know i love all of you guys i just want us to grow as people and constantly learn and uh you know that's who i am and uh, i'm not gonna change so this is what it is. But with all that, I thank you for listening. And until next time, I'll holla. Thank you for listening to Unsolicited Perspectives with Bruce Anthony. Please subscribe, like, comment, share, and donate. Donations help us keep giving you this free content each and every week. Until next time, Audi 5000. Peace.